Hello everyone and welcome to episode 52 of the Unlocking British English podcast, a podcast where I talk about a variety of different topics in real British English so that you can improve your listening comprehension, learn a little bit more about British culture and about how to learn languages more effectively. My name is Shane and in today's episode I'm going to try and answer the question, how much power does the Queen really have? That's going to be the subject for today, hope you're excited for that, but before we jump into the full episode, just a couple of quick things. If you would like to download the transcript for this episode so that you can read along while you're listening or look up any words that you don't recognise, you can do that for free right now on the website, that is www.unlockingbritishenglish.com. Uh, also, if you have any suggestions for future episodes, any things that you would like me to make uh, a podcast about, then you can get in contact with me on Instagram or by email. All of the details will be in the description box wherever you are listening to this podcast. So yeah, let's get into the episode. So how much power does the Queen really have? So, well, I suppose we should say how much power does the monarchy have, right? The monarchy, the crown, because, of course, currently that position is being held by Queen Elizabeth II. Um, but uh, when she passes on and, and her son um, ascends to the throne, he will be in charge. And so we're talking about how much power the position has technically rather than the person. But obviously for... For today's purposes, we'll talk about the Queen because she's in charge right now. So, yeah, Queen Elizabeth II is obviously a very famous person, uh, known and admired by a lot of people. Uh, and she has a lot of influence around the world. Uh, she's had a lot of influence throughout her life. Um, but despite that influence, the Queen and the monarchy today, in terms of how the UK is run and what really happens in the UK... The Queen doesn't really hold a lot of real power um, in terms of government and things like that. Uh, the role of the monarchy today is, is largely symbolic. Um, so let's talk about it. Let's talk about how much power the Queen actually has. To be able to understand how this situation, what, what this situation is and how these things have come about, we need to understand a little bit of the history to kind of understand how things have changed. So before I jump into specifically what kind of things she can do, uh, let's just talk a little bit about the background. So um, in its history, the English monarchy, the crown, has held a huge amount of authority, right? They've been able to do pretty much uh, whatever they've wanted, but the history of the monarchy is also full of people challenging their power. At different points during different periods in history, people have challenged the power of the monarchy, challenged the power of the crown uh, for various reasons. And so throughout history, there have been these different uh, concessions, right? They've conceded, they've said, oh, okay, right, we'll let you have this or we won't do that. Um, different things have happened for various reasons, but there's a couple uh, most notably that I want to talk about just so we can get a bit of an understanding. Um, so the most famous uh, of these concessions of power from the crown, the most famous times where um, power was ceded from the crown, was uh, the signing of the Magna Carta uh, by King John in the year 1215. Um, so the Magna Carta was basically a document that acknowledged, firstly, that the monarchy... Uh, the monarchy's powers did in fact have limits. So before the signing of this document, there was 
there was nothing legal or formal that said there were any limits to the power of the crown, so they could do literally whatever they wanted. Um, but another crucial thing that this document established was that the crown could not make changes to the taxes without the consent of a council, right? A group of people uh, that were usually, at this point, they would have been religious officials, uh, lords, landowners, uh, a council of wealthy and powerful people, a group of uh, wealthy and powerful people. Um, and so, yeah, that meant that the signing of the Magna Carta in the year 1215 meant that uh, whoever was in power of the crown couldn't just change the the taxes and couldn't do whatever they wanted um, and then so they had to start to to communicate and to get confirmation from this council this group of, of wealthy and powerful people uh, and that group of wealthy and powerful people the landowners the religious officials the lords and different people they eventually evolved into what we now know as the parliament which is you know our government right the people who deal with how our country is run on a sort of daily basis um, and so yeah like I say that the first big change was in the year two, uh, 1215 uh, which was the signing of the Magna Carta by King John um, and, and that's what kind of started off what became uh, the parliament, the this group of people uh, and so obviously these people have gradually taken on a greater role over the years um, there's been lots of different stuff that's happened um, I won't take you through all of it but with the signing of the Magna Carta this complicated relationship starts between the government and the monarchy between the government and the crown um, and initially the role of Parliament what they would and could do ultimately depended on how much power the monarch wanted to give it how much power the king or the queen wanted to give to the parliament which basically meant how much he or she wanted or needed the parliament's support uh, in any given situation so the role of parliament would fluctuate um, sometimes it was used more sometimes it was used less uh, in fact king charles the first actually governed without a parliament for over a decade uh, that didn't actually end up working out very well for him uh, that ended up with him being beheaded and the abolition of the monarchy they got rid of the monarchy um, for a bit over a decade from 1649 until the year 1660 um, and so again like I say I'm not going to go through this whole story but I just want to give a bit of backstory a couple of things that happened so we can understand uh, how these things change so historically initially the crown could do whatever it wanted it had complete control basically over pretty much everything um, and then we have the signing of the Magna Carta this says firstly that the crown has limits that the king or the queen can't do whatever they want uh, and very importantly at the time uh, equally as importantly at the time uh, is that they can't change taxes they can't uh, lower or raise taxes or make changes to taxes without the agreement of this group of people, this council, which will later become the parliament. Um, so that was the first thing, the Magna Carta. The second thing, the other thing that is important to mention that helps us to understand how we got to where we got to today uh, is a thing that is often referred to as the bloodless revolution. Uh, so this took place from the year 1688 until 1689 in England um, and basically it involved 
the overthrowing of the Catholic king, James II, uh, and he was replaced by his Protestant daughter, Mary, and her Dutch husband, William of Orange, for any of you that are interested in all the official names, but basically one king is removed, replaced by his daughter, who was of a different um, religious group, and so is going to do things in a slightly different way. All of the motives for this specific revolution are complex, uh, included religious stuff and political stuff. It's not really the concern of today's podcast, so we're not going to get bogged down in that. But that event ultimately changed massively how England was governed, how England was, well, yeah, governed, because um, because of the introduction of what's called the Bill of Rights. Uh, so the Bill of Rights, again, is another important document, uh, and this legally required Parliament to be held regularly. So it was a legal requirement for the government officials to come together on a regular basis to discuss different topics, to discuss what needed to be done about certain things. Um, it also granted full freedom of speech in Parliament, so people could freely express themselves, they could disagree with things um, and not be tried for treason, for example, and different stuff like that. Um, and it... it, it, it uh, gave us different types of civil liberties along those kinds of lines. Essentially, it kind of gave us, uh, or it gave, sorry, the parliament more power over the monarchy, and it started this process towards the political democracy we have. So it, it started to give more um, more power to the parliament, to the government officials, took it away from the monarchy slightly, and started to work towards uh, a political democracy wherein we, the people, the citizens, are voting for who we want in charge, we're voting for how we want things to work. So Britain doesn't have a, a written constitution like the United States, for example, um, but the documents like the Magna Carta and the Bill of Rights uh, that formally started to take power from the Crown and give it to the Parliament, um, they are important to kind of understand, to understand um, you know, why we have a situation now where we have a queen or a monarchy who, that does have a certain amount of power, as we're about to get into in a second, but also is largely symbolic realistically um, in today's world. So enough about all this history. How much power does the queen actually have? What is the situation today with our current monarchy? So the monarchy isn't completely powerless. The monarchy has what is called the royal prerogative. It's basically a collection of these powers and privileges held by the monarchy. Um, most of these powers are actually exercised, they're actually carried out by the government ministers. So most of the things that the Queen can do are carried out by the government minister. Um, but they're carried out, they're, sorry, these things are carried out under the law of the Queen, right, under the power of the Crown. Um, so we have the phrase, Her Majesty's Government. So the government operates um, as it is, but technically it operates under her name. And so uh, the monarchy has what's called this royal prerogative, um, which gives them some, some, some sort of basic powers. Um, and these powers exist basically just to protect the democracy, to protect freedom, essentially, and to 
to ensure that nobody, including the monarch, the king or the queen, uh, or the ruling government can just seize total power. Um, there's certain powers that the crown has, certain powers that government have, different things. Uh, and these things work together to mean that no one can just work alone and control everything. But the monarchy does have certain powers um, under this thing that they call the royal prerogative. Basically, there's still some things that she does within the role of our society, but a lot of them are largely symbolic. They don't necessarily um, mean a great deal because the decisions have been made not by her, by other. they've been made by other people, and she's usually just kind of agreeing and making it official. Um, there are a lot of things that she could technically do, but for her to do so without the support of the government, without the support of the people, would be pretty unprecedented. It would be, it would have to be a pretty serious situation. Um, you know, if, as a random example, if she believed that the government was actively, um, you know, very, very negative for for society, she could overrule a decision that they made or something like that. But it would be a huge thing because. You know, as we've talked a little bit about with the history section earlier, um, you know, there's been a long and complicated process where we've removed a lot of power from the queen and from the from the monarchy, from the crown, giving it more to the parliament, to the elected officials. And so, like I say, essentially, the queen uh, she gives the okay on a lot of stuff, but it's largely symbolic because, like I say, the decisions are being made by other people, but she. Uh, she makes it official, let's say. So there are still some things that she does and she she could do technically. So let's talk about some of the things that she can actually do and things that she does actually do. Um, so one of the things that she, uh, one of her jobs technically is to appoint the elected prime minister. So our prime minister is the head of our, of our government um, and the queen is responsible for officially appointing the prime minister. So after the general election, uh, after the people vote and we decide who we want to be prime minister, um, she then basically confirms uh, this person and and makes it um, makes it official in a, in a kind of legal sense. But it's already been decided. Um, she also has the power to summon or suspend parliament. So basically, she can bring parliament together or she can shut it down technically. Um, again, there's very few situations where she would actually do that, but she could technically do that. Um, one thing, again, that she does that is, is very important, but again, is largely symbolic. It's what's called royal assent. And what this means is that it's the queen's responsibility to approve bills from parliament Parliament and make them into laws. So when Parliament discuss, when the government discuss about certain things happening, um, for it to become an actual law, it has to be signed into law by the Queen, by the monarchy, by the crown. That's called royal assent. It ascends from being a bill into a law. Um, she can also refuse a bill if she believes it would harm the country. Um, but again, these things are largely symbolic. She's not really making decisions about a lot of these things and a lot of these situations. She's just signing off because everyone else has agreed on it. Um, but the reason she does that is because the law is carried out in her name. So, fun fact, the monarch is actually above the law. Elizabeth II can't be prosecuted as the law is carried out in her name. 
pretty crazy, right? But actually true, uh, or at least as far as I could find. So yeah, um, just if you were wondering if you could ever arrest the queen. Uh, anyway, moving on, probably best you don't do that. Anyway, um, she's also the head of the armed forces, the, the army, the navy, the military, right? Uh, and when you join the military, you swear an oath of allegiance to her and to the country. Um, she is technically in charge of the armed forces. Again, she's not really in there making a lot of decisions, but her role technically is head of the British armed forces. Um, and because of that, she can also commission officers, like she can um, you know, make, put people into the army uh, and remove them if she wanted to. Um, she can also declare war. Um, she can declare a war against another country if she feels that way inclined. Um, but again, nowadays this is not something that she would do. Um, certainly without um, you know everyone else's agreement, and even when everyone's in agreement, this is uh, what the prime minister would do in 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 today's Britain. So. Um, yeah, she could declare war, but like I kind of said earlier, it would be pretty crazy um, if she did. So those are kind of the things that she does in our in our kind of uh, current society. Those are some of her current roles. Like I said, she has a lot of power technically, but realistically a lot of it is symbolic you know she has the power to turn something into a law but she is not deciding whether things become laws or not that's being done by the government she could declare war on another country but she's not making that decision the government is she's just signing off on it so a lot of this stuff again like i say is, is largely symbolic and that is due to the uh, colorful storied and complicated history that i talked a little bit about at the beginning of this episode so yeah i don't don't want to go on too long in this episode so I'm going to leave it there for now I've covered pretty much everything I wanted to in today's episode so I hope you guys have found that interesting as always if you have any questions about anything if you have any questions about something I've talked about in today's episode or if you have a question just in general please feel free to get in touch you can contact me on Instagram you can contact me uh, by email all of the information is in the description wherever you are listening to this episode so yeah thank you very much for listening to this podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it and I look forward to speaking to you again in the next one.